Hey, whoa, hey, hey, we're hot. All right. So um, it, as you may have figured out, it takes a lot of uh, work and smarts to move that, the whole thing that happens uh, over there into this space, which is not, this is usually just where kids play basketball. So uh, I think they did a great job, don't you, uh, making, this, making this work. And um, so it's, it's been a, a season of a lot of transition, not just for our church family as we watch the renovation happen there in the worship center. And if you, if you want to go by and, and check and just peek in and uh, see, see what's going on in there, feel free to do that before you leave. Um, but for our, our community, there's, there's been a lot of just some really happy things and some really sad things happen in our community. We've, we've had some, some losses, the Rice family and the Griffin family. I'd ask for that you pray with uh, with those families as they deal with loss at this time of year, uh, but also some celebrations, as, as Scott mentioned, the Hawkins family, and uh, Justin and Katie are having a celebration. If you don't know what that's about, you should just go and swarm them after the service and ask them questions. Maybe ask Katie to hold her hand up, left hand up, uh, real high. Uh, a lot of celebrations, and, and, and our beloved uh, worship pastor, Dave Stroop, uh, has moved on to a new ministry closer to his home. And so there's a lot of transitions uh, happening at this time of year. And uh, I just ask that you would, you would be aware, just kind of be aware that it's a, it's a fun and exciting time for a lot of people, but for a lot of folks it's, it's sad and there's, there's some heartbreak and, and hurt happening for a lot of folks. So just kind of be sensitive to that and be aware and be praying for, for families that are going through difficult times. Because it is a, a time of, of transition and it's a time when a lot of us are looking forward to a fresh start. We, we kind of do this weird thing, I think. We set this date on the calendar, and we say, this is the date when I'm going to change, right? <laughs> January 1 of a new year. I'm, I'm, it's just a date on a calendar, but for, for us, it, it just feels like a, a time for a fresh start. When we can look back and say, okay, 2018, we survived, we made it, but I think I can do better. I think there's a better version of me that's out there somewhere, and I'm going to try to become that better version as we go into a new year. And so we start to look at our habits, and we start to think about what are some, some bad habits maybe I can move away from? What are some good habits I need to start? Because we are creatures of habit, aren't we? I mean, how many of you walked in this morning and you had no idea where to sit? You had this moment of panic where you thought, I... I have to find a new seat, and, and I, I don't even know where to begin. Some of you tried to find a, a spot that corresponds with where you, you normally sit on Sundays, and you're like, okay, this is not going to work. Some of you landed a pew in the back, those of you, good job, That's, uh, that, those were coveted spots. It, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? And when our habits get thrown off, it, it really messes with us. You know, we, we, you have a morning routine that you can float through half asleep, and you typically do, right? You get up, you do the same things, you put your right shoe on first and your left shoe if you're a normal person, and you brush your teeth the same way, and you eat the same thing for breakfast. We are creatures of habit. Even at the grocery store, when I go to the grocery store, I, I take the same path, the same route, every single time, okay? This is it's really important. You go into Meyer, you take a right, you go through the produce, back towards the bacon, up, up the, up the uh, dairy aisle to the back wall, and you work your way back to the front, right? So I took my mom grocery shopping with me. She doesn't know my system. And uh, we got all the way back to the dairy corner, and then things started to break down because she thought we were passing things. And I was like, no, we're going to get to that aisle. Trust me. But we, we have to go this way first. 
And at, we had gotten three aisles deep, and she had forgotten something, and so we went back, and when we, we came to back to our place where we were, we, we came into the aisle from the wrong end. Okay, there's a right end and a wrong end to enter each aisle. And you make an S pattern. We came in at the wrong end of the aisle, and I was disoriented. I didn't know where I was. I, I, I couldn't find anything. Because we're creatures of habit. We just do the same things over and over again. In fact, psychologists uh, have researched this and they believe that 40% of what you do on any given day is habit. 40%. Four minutes out of every 10 minutes are things that you're doing. You don't even think about what you're doing, right? And this is not a bad thing. It's kind of a good thing. And, you know, our, we develop habits so that our brains don't have to think all the time and we can do things like tie our shoes and buckle our seatbelts without brain power. And we can save that brain power for more important things. But here's, here's the problem. Not all of our habits are good, are they? In fact, some of our habits are, are bad. And what I mean by bad is a bad habit is something that prevents us or it's an obstacle to us being the person that God created us to be. I believe God created us to be a reflection of himself, that we are supposed to look like him as we go about our business in the world. God is a God of love, right? He is good. He's a God of justice and peace and mercy and righteousness. And we are created to reflect that to everyone around us. And a bad habit is a habit that prevents us from reflecting the nature and character of God, from being who we were created to be. So conversely, then, a good habit is a habit that helps us, that moves us closer to being the person that God created us to be, to reflecting His, His goodness and kindness and justice in the world. And so, if we're such creatures of habit, what do we do when we, we find that we have some bad habits? There's a process that we have to go through. I'll tell you an example from uh, the Old Testament. There's a, a man named Daniel. Maybe you've heard of Daniel. He was a, a man of God, very devout. He was a prophet, and he was really wise, and so he was a leader in this foreign nation. And the king of this nation, someone tricked him into making a law that it was illegal to pray to anyone but the king. So the king gets tricked. He signs this law. Daniel is a praying man. And, and so he knows that, that now his prayers are going to be illegal. And if he gets caught, the punishment is he's going to be thrown into the lion's den where we kind of know what's going to happen to anybody that gets thrown into the lion's den. So Daniel goes home after he hears about this law. And what does he do? He prays. And he gets caught because there are people watching him. They're out to get him. He gets caught, gets a 24-hour free retreat to the lion's den. Did Daniel, when he went home that day, did he have to summon up some willpower to decide to pray? Or did he just pray because it was his habit? He just did what he always did. Daniel didn't have to find some willpower to go ahead and pray he just fell back on a habit. This is what um, the researchers tell us. Uh, there's a researcher named Wendy Wood. Here's what she wrote about uh, how habits work. She said, The thoughtful, intentional mind is easily derailed, and people tend to fall back on habitual behaviors. 40% of the time, we're not thinking about what we're doing. Habits allow us to focus on other things. Willpower, however, is a limited resource. When it runs out, you fall back on habits. How many can relate to that? Willpower is a limited resource. We can get by on willpower for just so long, and then we fall back on our habits. Wouldn't it be great 
to live in such a way that when you ran out of willpower, the habits that you fell back on were good ones. They were the habits that move you closer to being the person that God created you to be, to reflecting his nature and character in the world. Wouldn't it be great to live in such a way that when you ran out of willpower, you fell back on good habits? Wouldn't that be awesome? Think about your diet and exercise. Think about how much willpower it takes to eat right and to stay healthy. We try to summon up a bunch of willpower, usually January 1. I'm really excited to see a lot of new people at my gym next week. You know, there's going to be some just brand new faces for about three weeks or so, and, and then it'll go back to normal, you know. But the, we, we have to summon up this willpower to, to eat right, to, to, you know, maybe to change our, our language, to stop saying certain words and try to be more, you know, fruitful with our words, maybe to... Um, read the Bible. We have to summon up a bunch of willpower, and we, in January 1, a lot of people start a new reading plan, or maybe you have some new prayer habits or giving habits. Maybe just showing up for worship on a Sunday morning takes a lot of willpower for you. But here's the thing. It doesn't for everyone. There are a lot of people who eat right and exercise, and it doesn't take any willpower for them at all. Why? Because it's a habit. There are a lot of people who don't have trouble with their language because they have a habit of keeping their language clean. There's a lot of people who don't have a tr trouble sitting down and spending time reading the Bible or praying. They don't have trouble giving. They don't have to summon up a lot of willpower to show up for worship on a Sunday morning. Why? Because it's a habit. Wouldn't it be great if your life was built in such a way that when you ran out of willpower, the habits that you fell back on were good ones? Well, I think Scripture addresses this. We're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4 just here in a moment. So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, uh, go ahead and pull that up, Ephesians chapter 4. But I want to show you this first because I think this is um, going to help us understand what needs to happen. There are two forces kind of in us when it comes to decision-making. There is what we want to do, and there is what we ought to do, right? You, you kind of... You kind of know what you ought to do. Most of us do. We were raised in such a way, or we were, you know, educated, or our parents taught us, or you kind of just see it in the world around you, and a lot of stuff is just innate, right? It, you don't have to teach kids that cutting in line is, is wrong, right? Kids, kids know that. They figure that out quick, and they see somebody cut in line. They go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not fair. This is not right. So we know what we ought to do, but then we also have what we want to do. To do and and the problem is what we want to do is not often what we want to do and we typically do what we want to do not what we ought to do did I say that backwards thank you Joseph for your face okay so when when what we want is different from what we ought we typically do what we want that's just human nature unless we either have a great capacity for willpower or we have a really good habit the only time we're gonna do what we ought when it's not what we want, is when we have a lot of willpower at work or we have a really good habit built in. And what did we learn about willpower? It's a limited resource. It will only get you so far. This is why most people's New Year's resolutions break down after three or four weeks, because they run out of willpower. They haven't changed their habits, right? And so the sweet spot is when what you want to do and what you ought to do are the same thing. Isn't that the best? When what you want to do is exactly what you ought to do, the person that you want to be is exactly the person that God created you to be. That's the sweet spot. Now, how do we get there? Let's, let's read this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to these young believers. 
and he's helping them, and he has this conversation in almost every one of his letters because every believer faces this reality. What I want to do and what I ought to do are not the same thing, so what do I do? Here's what his advice is. He says to put off your old self. Oh, uh, we're in verse 22 through 24, sorry. Ephesians 4, 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What are desires? That's what you want, right? And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul breaks this down really simple. He says your, your old self is, is driven by what you want. You're always only going to do what you want. And most of us know that's going to get us into trouble because what I want is ice cream and Oreos all the time. Like I would just eat that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If that's what I want to do, then that's what I do, and that's my old self. And so this is the point where most of us at, at, at New Year's, we're kind of looking at, okay, I, I, want, I want to be a, di- I think I can do better. I think I can be a better person, so how can I, how can I put off this old self? And he says, well, you need to put on a new self. Which is, which is righteousness, and it reflects the glory of God. So Paul acknowledges that we have this person that we want to be, and that person needs to go away, and we need to change what we want so that we're, we're doing what we ought to do. And we're being who we ought to be. And most of us think, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do with my resolutions. I'm trying to, I'm trying to want something different. I'm trying to change this old person into someone new. New year resolution. But what we miss is this part in the middle, in verse 23, where he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. When we just try to take off our old self and put on a new self, we're working sheerly off of willpower. I'm just, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start going to church regularly. And, and I'm just going to power through it. I'm just going to try harder until I get there. And try harder will get you a little ways. It'll get you a few weeks into the new year. But February, try harder starts to run out, doesn't it? And you start like, I'm just, I'm tired of trying harder. And Paul says the gap that we're missing here is we have to change what we want, and we do that by renewing being renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is common language in the New Testament. You find it in Romans 12, and you find it again in Colossians 3, and there's there's this sense in which God wants to participate with us in helping us want something different. God wants you to want what you ought. That's exactly what God wants, because God, what He wants and what He ought is always the same thing. That's what we mean by God being perfect and holy. He always wants what He ought. And God wants that for you. He wants you to want what you ought. And God has volunteered. He says, I will help you change into the kind of person who always wants what they ought. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if what you wanted and what you ought matched up all the time? Then we wouldn't have the problems that we have with breaking old habits and creating new ones. So how do we participate with God in letting Him change us? This is not just about changing clothes. Paul's not talking about changing a new set of clothes. He's talking about changing our identity. It's more like changing uniforms if you're an athlete. And not just uniforms, but even sports. It's more like saying, okay, I used to be a great baseball fan, and I was a Cubs fan, and I realized that's bad. And I, I, I want to be, be something good now. 
Am, am I making enemies? Just hold on. I want to be something good now because it's not baseball season. It's football season. I, I should be a Colts fan. So I'm going to take off my Cubs jersey. I'm going to put baseball to the side, and I'm going to put on my Colts jersey. We've got some, got some passionate followers here. Big game today, right? Sorry, let's not get distracted. It's, it's like a complete change. I'm not, I'm not only changing teams. I'm changing sports. I'm, I'm going to be a different kind of person, and we have to let God participate with us in that because we know that we don't have the willpower to make that change last. So how do we do that? Well, I think uh, there's a few things that we need to do. First of all, we need to study the example of Jesus. We need to study the example of Jesus. When you read the life of Jesus, you begin to see that Jesus wants what he ought, and he wants to reflect the nature and character of God. And it impacts everything that he does. It impacts the way that he treats people. It impacts the way that he speaks. It impacts the way that he spends his free time. It impacts everything he does. Study the example of Jesus. Pray for God to change your heart. Say, God, I know that I cannot become the person that I was created to be by myself. I can't. I need your help. I need you to change me. And then we need to develop some new habits. Because what happens when willpower runs out is we fall back on our habits. So today, I just want to talk you through developing one new habit for next year. You guys with me? Can everybody do one? One new habit? Yeah, three people. Can, can, can we do one new habit this year? Who's with me? Okay, let's do one new habit. We're going to develop the habit of helping. We're going to develop the habit of helping. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says, you have a habit, and I have a habit. We are born with a habit of thinking about ourselves first. It's just what we do. It's human nature. But Paul says, the nature and character of God is that we think of others first. So, Paul says, let's, let's stop thinking about yourself first. Start thinking about others first. That's going to be your new habit. We're going to, in humility, we're going to count others more significant than ourselves. I think most of us would say, I, I value people. People are important to me, but I also am important to me. And typically, when I'm acting in the moment without a lot of prayer and thought, I act in my own best interest rather than the interests of other people. So how do we start a new habit? We need to study the example of Jesus. We need to pray for God to change our heart. And we just need to do some things differently. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. One new thing. I want you to work the phrase, how can I help, into your daily vocabulary. How can I help? Okay, that, these are really simple words to say, so let's just prove that. Everybody say it with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. How can I help? How can I help? Th it sounds like this is your job as a Walmart greeter, is to say this phrase, right? How can I help? Or maybe you work at Chick-fil-A, and then that's just how they're taught to treat people. How can I help? There's a very a powerful undercurrent in this question. And the statement that is communicated to people when you say, how can I help? The statement is, I care about you, and I am willing to invest my time, my resources, or my energy into helping you through whatever it is that's in front of you. I'm willing to invest how can I help? Sometimes we need to say this question out loud. 
when we're interacting with people face-to-face and someone shares with us a concern or we, we understand that they're, they're having a rough time, we just need to say it out loud. How can I help? How can I help? Right? And sometimes we just need to say it internally. Maybe you walk into a room and, and you're not sure if anybody is, is, has any reasons for help and you, you just need to look around and say, how can I help? There are a lot of people here or maybe there's this family uh, here and I, and I just need to be asking this question in my head. How can I help? In this situation, at this given time, with the gifts that God has given me, how can I help? So, do you think that you could build that into your daily language in 2019? Could you do that? Yep, yeah, good. All right, three of us are going to be much better at this. So, uh, for, for those three of you and everyone else, you can just listen in if you like. Um, here, here are three things, three kind of steps to how can I help to making this really work into actually helping people. Because just asking the question is not really enough. We need to actually help. So step number one is to listen. When you ask, how can I help? You need to remove from your mind all the solutions that you already have to this person's problem. Because I think we do that, especially guys. We already know how we think we should help. We're probably wrong, and we just need to set that to the side and listen, listen, listen. Without making any plans, without making any judgments or any critiques, we need to just listen. Some of us are really good at seeing the flaws in other people's plans. They can say, well, this is how I think you could help, and we'll go, oh, no, that's, that's not the best way to help. I've got a better idea. Just listen. Just listen. Take some time to really hear what the other person is saying and listen. Second is to act. Listen and act. These are really simple. You could have thought of these all by yourself. You don't need me. I'm just... <laughs> uh, it, when you hear an actionable request, act on it. Follow through. Follow through. And a phrase that we use around here a lot is overpromise or o- under-promise, over-deliver. Did I say that right? <laughs> under-promise, over-deliver. Because a lot of times we, we get really excited. Some of, some of us are, are really just into trying to help other people. And we'll say, okay, man, I'm going to be at your house every day for the next month. And we're going to, you know, I'm going to call you every day. And I'm going to text you every day. And... And we overpromise, and then when we don't follow through, we let people down. So it's better, and what we try to do around here is under-promise, to say, I'm going to do what I can, and then over-deliver, under-promise and over-deliver. We're going to go so far beyond their expectations that people really see the love of Jesus in us. So listen, act, and finally evaluate. After you act, take a step back and, and ask, did that actually help? You know, this is what you you asked me to do, and I did this, was it really helpful? D- is there, is there could, could we have done things better or differently or used you know, more energy here and less there? And did it actually help? And then I know if, if this is a thing I can do again because not every action is equally helpful. How many of you have heard the starfish story, right? There's a, there, there's a guy walking on the beach, and there's just a million starfish all washed up, and they're all going to die. And so the guy's walking, and he picks up a starfish, and he throws it in the ocean, and he picks another one up and throws it in the ocean. And somebody comes along and goes, you're, not, you're, you're never going to get all these starfish off the beach. And he goes, yeah, I, I know I can't make a difference to all of them, but I made a difference to this one. Whew. I hate that story. Because if I'm the guy asking the questions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking, isn't there a better way? Like, isn't there a better use of your time? Get out your smartphone, text 
20 of your closest friends and have them come help you. Or go rent like a, you know, a scoop truck or something, come and just scoop them all up and throw, like there's a, you could actually make a difference to all of them if you tried. You're not really using, you know, all of the resources at your disposal. I, so I think we do that sometimes. We just, we just, oh, I'm just going to make a difference to one. When you have the resources to make a difference to a lot of people. So we need to use our, our resources wisely. That's the evaluate part. I want to tell you this story about a guy named Eugene Polly. We'll wrap up with this. He's an uh, elderly man uh, whose brain was attacked by a virus. He was in the hospital for a while. He wasn't sure that uh, he was going to survive, but he did. And afterwards, he was left with virtually no active short-term memory and limited cognitive functions. He struggled to remember what day it was, to tie his shoes. He couldn't find his own bedroom in his house. But his wife would walk with him every morning. He needed to get out and get some exercise, so she would take him by the elbow. They would walk around their neighborhood every single morning. One day, uh, his wife went to go uh, change for their walk, and when she came back into the living room, Eugene was gone. He had vanished. She looked all over the house, couldn't find him, started to panic, so she took off through the neighborhood, driving around in her car, looking for him, couldn't find him. Finally, she decided to go back home and start making some phone calls. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call my daughter. We're going to find him. She walked back into the house, and he was sitting there on the couch watching the History Channel with a stack of pine cones next to him that he had picked up on his daily walk. This is a man who, if, if someone had approached him and asked him his name, he may not have known it. If they'd asked him where he lived, he probably couldn't have told him. But because he had this habit, this routine of walking the neighborhood every morning, it was one thing that he could do. One thing that he could do is to, to find his way back home because he had done it over and over and over again. There may come a day for me and there may come a day for you when we struggle to remember how to do things, to tie our shoes and to, you know, really function in normal life. And I hope when that day comes that I have spent so much of my life asking other people, how can I help? that that's the one thing I can still remember to do. It just feels like walking back home. I hope that for me, and I hope it for you. Because I believe there's a better version of each one of us in here somewhere. That 2018, that's not the best we can do. Do you agree? Is that the best you can do? Is that the best that you can handle everything that comes your way? Is that the best that you can interact with other people and point them to Jesus? Did you do the best that you could possibly do? I think we can do better. I think there's a better version of us that can reflect the nature and character of God next year. So we need to develop some new habits. We need to invite God in to transform us into the kind of people who want to do what we ought to do so that we can be the reflection of him that will point others to his son. So one new habit, what is it? How can I help? All right. So if you forget that this afternoon, give me a call and say, hey, what was that one thing? The only, it was like four words, but I can't remember them. Just call me, and I'll tell you the one thing again. Uh, and uh, we want to build that into the way that we talk to other people because when, when, when willpower runs out, we're going to fall back on our habits. And if we have a habit of just asking how can I help, we're going to make a difference to a lot of people. Are you with me? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this church family and for the way that you have brought us through so much and you're leading us through transitions even now. And my prayer is, Father, that as we dive into a new year, 
God, that, that your nature and character will be reflected more clearly, more visibly, more accurately in each one of us than it has ever been before. That we'll see more and more people turn to Jesus because of the actions of the people in this room. And, and my prayer, God, is uh, that more and more people would live out lives that reflect your nature and character because of your willingness to participate with us in transformation. So as we move on from here today, Father, would you help us to build uh, some new habits into our lives that will reflect your nature and character and point people to Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.